0: Give your heart to me. You okay? (laughs) Heavenly Father, may we hear Your Word this morning. May my mouth speak wisdom. And may the meditation of my heart be understanding. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Early in my sophomore year in high school, my family moved to a little town in Oregon called Sherwood. And yes, they did have Sherwood Forest celebrations and Robin Hood festivals and all kinds of things. Naturally, I made some new friends at school, and one day, one of those friends called my home. My mother answered. The caller asked, is Al there? My mother instantly responded, there's no one here by that name, and hung up. She later told me she thought they were calling the local bar. You see, my parents believed that given names were important, and my name was not Al, but Alfred. And that is what they always called me. I was named after a famous semanticist, Alfred Korzybski, who introduced my parents to each other. And don't ask me what a semanticist does. I don't know. (laughs) Now everyone today calls me Al, but I like to remember my given name because of what it means. Perhaps you've looked up the meaning of your own name. My name, Alfred, means wise counselor. And many years ago, when I discovered that meaning, I determined that I would attempt to live up to that name, to gain wisdom so that I could give wise counsel to others as a father, a teacher, a writer, a pastor. Solomon, in Proverbs 3, writes, "'Blessed is the one who finds wisdom.'" and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Wow. If wisdom is really so precious, then we ought to probably spend more time seeking it. But where does one gain such wisdom? I would suggest that today's scripture readings might be a good place to begin. As I've studied the Bible now for 49 years, I've realized that this book has the wisdom and the perspective that I need. Here is where I find the meaning of life. Here, I learn what God's wisdom is, and I discover it's very different from the thinking of this world. When I saw the reading today from Ecclesiastes, it reminded me to think about the wisdom literature in Scripture. Ecclesiastes is considered one of four books of wisdom in the Old Testament. They include Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Of course, there is much wisdom to be found in other books as well as in the New Testament. What Jesus gives us today in his parable illustrates the biblical contrast between what God considers wise and the person God considers foolish. Now, I know it's not polite to call someone a fool, but in this case, Scripture is not politically correct. Sorry about that. Let's consider for a moment some of the contrasts that are in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Proverbs. The wise of heart will receive commandments. But a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Interesting one here. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. However, two verses later, it says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. (laughs) Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? (laughs) There's more hope for a fool than for him. A fool gives full vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back. Those are just a few contrasts in the book of Proverbs between the wise and the foolish. And this one from Ecclesiastes, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. An interesting one to meditate on this week, especially after the two tragedies yesterday in El Paso and Dayton, Uh, in mourning, and in my work with the persecuted church, I'm finding there's a lot more wisdom and un- insight and understanding to be gained through the persecuted church than through a society that just celebrates life and whatever we deem as fulfilling. So it's worth striving for wisdom. But how do we gain this wisdom that God approves of? To answer the question, I think it helps first to understand what wisdom is not. For example, wisdom is not the same as knowledge. Let's refer to our Old Testament reading this morning. It starts, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does that mean? Well, vanity means emptiness, futility. It can be compared to a mist or a vapor or a mere breath. We might best use the word meaningless. The book of Ecclesiastes explores many things in life, such as self-indulgence, hard work, evil, even knowledge. The writer says at the end of chapter 1, He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, he writes, of of making many books, there is no end. Makes me wonder why I want to write more books. (laughs) And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Three days ago, we moved into a new house. We had the builder make bookshelves for us. We've moved more than six, I haven't counted exactly, but it's somewhere between 60 and 70 cases of books, and that's after we gave away several hundred volumes before we packed. Right now, we're waiting for the paint to set on the shelves, so of course, I can't unpack those books and put them up. I call them my friends, my teachers, you know. Um, of course, there's many more books that we don't have, So we freely use the library and I'm constantly getting daily reminders for Amazon of all the new books coming out. But here's the fact that in this age, we have more information than ever in history. The growth of knowledge right now, if you looked at knowledge growth over thousands of years, it would be a flat line until the last 40 years or so where it's gone like this and become exponential. I did a quick search of Google and discovered that we produce 2.5 quintillion bytes of data every single day. I can't even put my head around that number. And it it's according to Forbes, knowledge is now doubling every sing, every 12 months. And it's easy access- accessible. 3.7 billion people use the internet. There are 40,000 searches on Google every second. <laughs> we are definitely in the information age. Now, for someone like me, this is real treasure. You see, I've took the strength finders test. Maybe some of you have taken strength finders. Guess what my number one Strength is, Joe. Input. (laughs) There's a couple problems with that strength. Because every strength has its strengths, but it also has its weaknesses when it's overused. First, I can read and research for a blog or a sermon or a book and never get around to writing. You see, the information and knowledge by itself is not enough. I need to process that information. Second, all that knowledge does not equal wisdom. The question is, what do I do with all that information? I need to think. I need to process. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, there is no remembrance of former things. In other words we haven't learned from the lessons of history. We have all this information, what good is it doing us? Ecclesiastes 2.16 says, in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. Ultimately what I've discovered is we need to combine prayer with information. God what does all this mean? What are you revealing? What are you, what, if I'm writing, I need to ask, Lord, what does my audience need to know? What facts are relevant? What are not? What is right? What is not right? What insights do you have for me from what I've learned? One of the promises of scripture that I've learned to lean on is this from James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But there's a catch. James says, let him ask in faith without doubting. That's one of the major things I've learned over the years. All the input in the world won't make me wise. Solomon emphasizes that in Ecclesiastes. For wisdom, I need to go to God, and ask him for insight. Last week, we talked about prayer. One of my constant prayers now is for wisdom. As I read or study or listen or watch the media, Lord, what, is, what are you saying in this? What is wisdom? Well, there's another thing that wisdom is not, and that is revealed in today's gospel reading. Wisdom is not connected with wealth. Now, this is a difficult one for us as Americans. For we have an immense amount of material goods compared with many parts of the world. I know. We've just moved two truckloads of stuff to our new home. So I'm rather convicted by this. Still, it's amazing how many of us think that the more you have, the better. Who do we usually ask for advice? Look at the boards of nonprofit organizations or even many churches. Who do you usually find? Yes, usually it's the wealthiest church members, the wealthiest uh, contributors who are elected to the governing board. Now, don't get me wrong, I've met quite a few rich people who are indeed wise leaders. But that wisdom is not because of what they own. For example, one of my dearest friends, he's 92 years old, still involved in ministry, and he's still supported by donations. He's not wealthy by any of our American definitions, but I have found that he has some of the most profound insights into scripture and into ministry to the Muslims that he's been working with for 60 years. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9 makes this observation. I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seems great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in that city a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered or saved the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard or remembered. Jesus in our Gospel reading today addresses this topic straight on. First, someone in his audience interrupted his teaching. Why? Because he wanted what was coming due him, at least what he thought was due him. He wanted his inheritance, he demanded his rights. Jesus challenged his attitude. First, he makes it clear that he didn't come to arbitrate uh, disputes like this. In fact, this man, and I'm assuming it's a man, is missing the big picture. Jesus warns the crowd, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Wow. Wow. We could chew on that one for a while. All that stuff in my house and all that's in those boxes, that does not define my life. It does not define who I am. But then Jesus goes on to tell a parable that makes it very clear. A man who's already rich has a bumper crop. Now remember, Jesus is speaking in an agrarian society. Many of the parables involve seeds and crops and farmers and vineyards. There was nothing wrong with the wealth obtained from farming. The problem was in the rich man's attitude and perspective. Listen to what he thought. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Well, he could sell them, he could give away his extra to the poor? Just a thought. He goes on to think, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I think this man was really not content with what he had. He was already rich. Surely the barns he has are adequate. He goes on to say, There I will store my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul! You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So this man is thinking, I have it made. I never have to work again. I can party and have a great time, see the world. He isn't thinking about God. He isn't thinking about God's perspective on what he has. And what does God call him? A fool. First, The man has forgotten that his soul belongs to God, and God's requiring it. Second, who gets all the wealth that he's accumulated? Solomon had actually quite a bit about to say that, uh, say about that, in our reading today. That a man who works hard and accumulates much, and then has to leave it for someone else to enjoy, vanity, emptiness, meaningless. And then there's this, the punchline. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, this man has the ability to produce wealth. But who gave him that ability? Who created the land on which he farms? Who brings the rain that waters those fields? Ultimately, who is the owner of all of those good things? Does this man even consider that he should tithe what he has in recognition of God, all that God has given him? Actually, he could probably afford a lot more than a tithe. He could be really generous, but instead he's greedy. (laughs) He's like one of the Rockefellers who supposedly, this is one of the richest families in the world, and this, he was supposedly asked, what will it take to make you happy? And he is supposed, recorded to have answered, one more dollar. Never having enough. It becomes a competition. In fact, you see today with uh, celebrities, sports stars, so on. Their value is wrapped up in how much they earn. So if they think they're better than that person over there, but that other person is making more money, what happens? They're not satisfied. Frankly, give me one year major league salary and I'll retire a happy man. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. So how do we gain and hold on to the wisdom that we need now? If knowledge and wealth don't provide wisdom, where do we get it? Solomon points us in the right direction. He writes in Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Which brings us to our epistle reading today in Colossians 3, which reveals what it looks like for us as Christians. Paul writes, If you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And he goes on to say, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. (laughs) let's notice the active verbs here. We are to seek the things that are above. We are to set our minds on the things that are above. How much time do I spend surfing the Internet or building my investment portfolio? They aren't bad things, but they're not the source of wisdom. For that, we need to actively focus on God and what he has revealed I would submit that we should invest at least as much effort in the things of God as we do on our 401k or our areas of expertise. Another act of command, put to death. We are to kill the sinful desires that rise up in our flesh. Paul says, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and more. I would like to propose that the way we gain wisdom is through the spiritual disciplines. Admittedly, they're hard to do in our busy and noisy culture. Jesus, he, was his, he had a busy agenda, a lot of demands being made on him. What did he do? Early in the morning, he'd get up before sunrise, go to a solitary place to be alone with his father to pray. And in the first experience of that, the disciples came looking for him. And they said, look, all these people are looking for you. Here's all these needs. Come here. But Jesus said, I, my call is to all the people of Israel. We need to go to all the communities. You see, I would have been with the disciples. I would have said, hey, we've got a nice setup here in Capernaum. Let everybody come to us. Jesus, when you get tired, you can go rest in your little room here. I mean, it's a great setup. That would have been my wisdom. But because Jesus focused on the will of the Father, he had a different perspective. And we need to build those spiritual disciplines into our life. So when do you have time for solitude? How about silence. There's so much noise in the world today. And I don't mean freeway noise and airplane noise. I mean all the music and the earbuds. And again, nothing wrong with all of that. But if if we're constantly filling our head with all that noise, how can we hear and recognize the voice of our Heavenly Father? So I recommend that each of us has some daily Time for solitude, for silence, where we can read the scriptures and pray. For me, it's early in the morning. Um, others might be that last period of time for you to go to sleep, or for someone that works odd hours to take a lunch break and just get away from it all for a few minutes. But we need to build those disciplines. And we need to help one another and encourage one another to focus on the things above and not on the things here on earth. So that may be one of the disciplines you want to do as a congregation is to be able to give one another permission. Hey, have you spent time with the Lord this week? My very first day of work at Open Doors with Brother Andrew, the, I told you about him, the author of God Smuggler, I walk into his office, and he doesn't ask me, how was your trip from America, and did you get a good night's rest, and do you need a cup of coffee, which I did. Um, First thing out of his mouth was, what did God say to you this morning in his word? Well, that's a great question for us, us to have, because now we're helping one another to set our minds on what's really important to get the wisdom that we really need not from all the messages of this world. And that became a pattern, Brother Andrew and I, as we traveled the world, and as we worked on our six books together, every morning began with, what is God saying to us through the scriptures?" Sometimes we'd just spend two or three minutes. Sometimes we'd spend a whole hour talking about a passage. And then at some point, we never stopped to say, well, what should we pray about today? It just happened naturally one of us would begin praying. Praying about the work we were going to do the day, praying about the people we might be ministering to, praying about the needs of the persecuted church. That became the rhythm of life that I've maintained even now that I can no longer work with my friend in the Netherlands. I'm glad my parents have named me Alfred, wise counselor, These many years, I have sought wisdom and discovered where it comes from. It comes from God. And I would encourage you to to pursue this. It's worth being the focus of your life. And God is faithful. If you seek his wisdom, he will give it to you generously. However, I also warn you, it may not be the the thinking of the world around you. And that's another reason we must keep our focus on things above. And it's also why we come together each Sunday at Christ Our Hope. We come to collectively set our minds on God, to sing his praises, to pray, to hear his word, and then to come to this table. Paul says, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when this, later this morning, when we eat the bread and drink the wine, we are reminded that we have died with Christ and it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up for us. Now that's real wisdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.